Hello and welcome to another edition, episode even, of Holy Crap at Sports with Pete Davis, your host. Pete can't be in today, so I'm filling in for him. My name is Pete Davis. Anyway, it's a lovely Thursday afternoon here in the palatial estate studios of Sandy Springs, Georgia. And we got lots to talk about today, so let's get right to it. The uh, Braves' woes continue in Atlanta. And by the way, the Atlanta media is way too soft. David Price is a whiny little bitch. Again, Rob Gronkowski is a harsh bunter. Say that fast. A's Chris Davis, no relation, is in the money. Australian listeners to the podcast, Tampa Bay will win the AL East. And other crazy thoughts. My kingdom for a knee, says Dustin Pedroia. The Dodgers are home run happy. And this day in baseball history, the award-winning this day in baseball history. So let's get started, shall we? Had a long show yesterday, about 40 minutes. I don't think we'll go this long, but... A lot of stuff happened in history today, and a lot of stuff happened today in SunTrust Park in Atlanta. The Braves got swept by the lowly Diamondbacks, who are up and coming, obviously. They lost 4-1 to today, the Braves did. Some good news, though. Mike Soroka, his first start of the season, he was injured a little bit at the end of last season, a little bit, a lot. Five innings pitched, four hits, one earned run, six strikeouts, and just two walks. Unfortunately, after that, the bullpen for the third straight game completely flopped. Uh, Chad Sabatka, two-thirds of an inning, three hits, three runs, another walk. It was ugly and doesn't get better for the Braves tomorrow. They're going to be up in Cleveland to face uh, Corey Kluber. You may have heard of him. Tuki Toussaint gets his first start of the season for the Bravos as the young kids are coming up. Between Max Free, Toussaint, and uh, Soroka, look out everybody else. Uh, Freddie Freeman, he homered for the only run for the uh, Braves today, which means he has now reached base in every Braves game this season. But the bullpen... Like someone put it out on Twitter, that meme that you see the dumpster on fire floating down a flooded river. Well, that's the Braves' bullpen. They gave up 11 runs and 9 innings in the three games at home against the Diamondbacks. But all is well. Uh, The starters, a 2.50 ERA for the Braves against the D-backs, but the bullpen, an 8.10 ERA. Braves bats made Arizona pitchers look like the 65 Dodgers. Hey, let's face Koufax and Drysdale and throw Osteen in there for good measure. By the way, the Dodgers of that year went on to uh, beat the Twins in seven games. So like I said, the Braves lose, get swept. So here's my little soapbox. Let me pull it right up here. Last night, the Braves dropped another tough one at home, and they lost again this afternoon. Well, mainly because Jesse Biddle last night and before that wet the bed again. Just the night before, on Tuesday night, Biddle had said his meltdown would never happen again and give him the ball. Never for Jesse Biddle is about 24 hours. Now, pitchers get into funks, batters get into funks, talk show hosts, podcast hosts get into funks. I just got in one there. But my beef is more with the Atlanta media, and it's been going on a while now, and I'm part of it. We're just too damn nice to the players and the teams in this town. You can ask around. Atlanta, San Diego, the nicest places to play if you're a player and you're sensitive to being criticized by fans and media. The total antithesis of a Boston or New York or Philadelphia. One radio guy in town, he's a nice guy, actually chastised the Braves fans for daring to even boo Jesse Biddle. Well, excuse me, but as a fan, you have two ways to show your dissatisfaction. You either boo or you don't buy a ticket. 
well, the fans in this town are rougher on the players now and on the teams than the cheerleading media has become. Uh, by the way, you love that ambiance in the background, the cityscape that flows by during the podcast of the beeps and the cars and the trucks and the sirens. Anyway, another media member felt the need to point out what a good guy Jesse Biddle is, and he sure hopes he works this out. Well, that's a very nice thought from a very nice guy. But is it the job of the media in this town to assuage the feelings of a player who frankly sucks eggs right now and is almost single-handedly keeping them out of first place? I say that before today's game, the Braves were two games behind the Phillies. Two games they should have in the win column. So yeah, we're a nice city full of nice people with a nice media, and that's nice. But we've got one World Series title in seven decades, one MLS title, zero Super Bowl wins, zero NBA championships, and we're 0 for 2 in bad NHL owner groups. In fact, here's the ambulance now to take away the bad sports in this town. It's on life support. I live near near three hospitals, so that's going to happen. It's time we in the media put more pressure on these guys. Well, that's just my opinion. We welcome yours. Well, it finally happened. I'll get off my soapbox here. I'm going to get back on it in a second, though. After 1,592 games and 6,828 at-bats, Redlegs first baseman Joey Votto finally popped out to a first baseman, fouled out to first base. That's amazing. Okay, let's put the soapbox up again. In another example, there's no pleasing some people. Major League Baseball pretty much comes to a halt every April 15th to honor Jackie Robinson, and justly so. Every team wears his number 42. The number is on every ballpark. Statues abound. Speeches are given. Jackie's widow, Rachel, and his son and daughter throw out first pitches. Hours of airtime carved out on ESPN and MLB Network to commemorate the, the occasion, as rightly so. But that's not enough for lefty David Price, professional whiny bitch. Price is unhappy again. And this time, so many teams had Monday off, even though they all commemorated Robinson the very next day, too. Monday is a travel day for a lot of teams, and this stretches the event over two days, not just one. But bitch, bitch, bitch goes David Price. He's upset and says it's a problem that blacks make up only 8% of all MLB players these days. And I ask, where's the problem? This is America, isn't it? We have freedom of choice. Most of African Americans choose to play football and basketball over baseball these days. Who are, is anybody else, especially white people, to tell black people what they should be doing? This wasn't always the case, too, by the way. People's tastes change. There was a time that African Americans played baseball a lot. Now they would rather play basketball and football. Is that baseball's fault? What does David Price want to have happen here? Make young African-Americans play baseball instead to force them to? Or does he have a quota system in his mind? Right now, Hispanic players are the dominant minority force in baseball because they choose to play baseball all over Latin America. Now, that might change in future generations, but right now that's their choice. I know there aren't a lot of baseball fields in inner cities, and baseball has been trying its darndest for the last 20 years or so to put baseball fields back in. The problem with baseball fields is they're expensive to keep up. Baseball equipment is a lot more expensive, a hell of a lot more expensive, than putting up a basketball hoop. And uh, i got to tell you right now, I grew up uh, in Decatur, Georgia, playing uh, Little League Baseball at a place called Glenwood Hills. It's over there by East Lake Golf Course. 
uh, for those of you unfamiliar with Atlanta. And I drove over there a few years ago just to see the old ballparks and everything. There ain't no more ballparks. It's all basketball courts because it's cheaper to do it. And the neighborhood changed. It became more African-American. And right now, in the last two generations, African-Americans want to play basketball. More power to them if they want to. They want to play more football, mainly because most high schools still play football. But, but that's changing, isn't it, because of the violence. Now, I'm tired of hearing this underlying whisper that baseball is a racist sport. Baseball started the civil rights movement in this country. A lot of people say that with Jackie Robinson back in 47. If baseball is so racist, then why are so many Hispanic players drawn to it? Once again, that's my opinion. We welcome yours. If you want to write me here at Pete Davis, go to um, email me, Pete Davis one that's the number one, at yahoo.com, or tweet me at Pete Davis one That's at Pete Davis one on Twitter. I'd love to hear your opinion about this, especially if you're African-American. Uh, why are you not playing baseball or African-Americans not playing baseball so much as they used to? Is it just because in most cities, baseball fields are harder and harder to come by, and most baseball fields are frankly out in the suburbs? Uh, newly retired Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski Put a lot of dents in players over the years, and now he's put a dent in the Lombardi Trophy. Horsing around with it at Fenway Park, Gronk used the NFL title trophy to bunt a baseball and put rather a massive dent into it. Check it out on the Internet. It's pretty funny. Uh, Congratulations to athletic slugger Chris Davis, no relation, has signed a two-year extension that will keep him under contract in Oakland through the 2021 season. The A's did not disclose the financial terms, but ESPN's Jeff Passan says it's worth about $33.5 million. Since Chris Davis joined the A's back in 2016, he's been one of the better power hitters in Major League Baseball. Here's how he ranks. Home runs, 143. That's first in Major League Baseball. RBIs, 355. That's tied for second. Extra base hits, Chris Davis has 228, and that's fourth. Chris is now 31 years old. He's batting 260 with the Major League leading 10 home runs so far this season. Also has 20 RBIs. And his three seasons with at least 40 homers with the A's are tied with Mark McGuire and Hall of Famer Jimmy Fox for the most in A's history. Of course, Jimmy played back with the Philadelphia A's, and then they moved to Kansas City for a short time, and then they moved over to Oakland. A little uh, personal note here about the podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thank you from the bottom of my, the cockles of my heart that you've been listening. And uh, please tell me where you're from when you write me. I'd love to hear exactly where you're from. I I got a breakdown here. And 99% of course, come from the United States of the podcast listeners. Uh, Three people in Australia. I like that. (laughs) I've got listeners in Australia. I'll tell you more about that. Most people listening are in Atlanta. The second biggest uh, city uh, is Cumming, Georgia. Yes, that's C-U-M-M-I-N-G, Cumming, Georgia. I have no idea why they call it that. Uh, Sanford, Florida has weighed in. And Belrose, New South Wales, Australia. Well, salute. And I'd love to hear from you. How did you find me in Belrose, New South Wales? I know Peter Moylan, a former pitcher, just retired and is now working for Fox Sports Braves. And a great, great guy and funny guy. He's from Australia. And maybe that's why. Maybe it's his family. Who knows? Omaha, Nebraska has weighed in. Mutual of Kingdom. Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom. While I hover safely overhead in the helicopter, Jim rustles the mighty python. Marlon Perkins. Uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. 
Monroe, New York. I have to look up to see where Monroe, New York is. Cypress, Texas. Orlando, Florida. Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Denver, North Carolina. I didn't know there was a Denver, North Carolina. I do now. Middleton, New Jersey. New York, New York. Milton, Florida. The Bronx in New York. And uh, it also says, it says the Bronx, and then later it says just Bronx. Hmm. Is there a difference? Uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Easley, South Carolina. Palm Coast, Florida. North Little Rock, Arkansas. And Simpsonville, South Carolina. So thank you, everybody, for listening from Atlanta to Australia. I appreciate that. Well, Thomas Harrigan has a pretty good article. I think it's on MLB.com about the Tampa Bay Rays winning the American League East. That's right. After finishing a distant third in the East last season behind the Red Sox and Yankees, despite going 90-72, and 72, the Rays were picked by most people to do so again this year, coming third. Well, guess what? It's been less than a month, and they flipped the script. As of today, which is Thursday, April 18th, as I look on my calendar, 538.com projects the Rays will finish 94-68 and 68 and will win the division by one game over the Yankees. Fangraphs has the club finishing in first place, a tie with the Yanks at 92 and 70. So check this out. This is what it what it looked like on opening day. 538.com had the Yanks 97 and 65 in first place, Red Sox at 95 and 67, and the Rays 86 and 76. Fangraphs had the Yankees 99 and 63 winning the division, the Red Sox 95 and 67, and the Rays 84 and 78. Well, the defending World Series champion Red Sox are now 6 and 13. They got swept in a two-game series by the Yankees. The Yankees have gone 8 and 9 and have 12 players on the injured list. And of course, the change in projections isn't entirely due to the misfortunes of Boston and New York. Tampa owns the best record in baseball at 14 and 4, as well as the major's best run differential at plus 47. While the Rays' largely unheralded pitching staff has been at the center of the team's success, according to an MLB-leading 2.33 earned run average, the club's offense has also impressed, especially Austin Meadows, I'm sorry, Pirates fans, and Tommy Pham, I'm sorry, Cardinals fans, and Tampa Bay's for real. Uh, my kingdom for knee. Red Sox second baseman Dustin Pedroia left Wednesday night's game against the Yanks after his first at-bat with left knee discomfort. Manager Alex Cora said after their 5-3 loss that Pedroia had approached him and told him he felt something weird in his surgically repaired knee. Pedroia will stay in New York and be evaluated by a doctor today. Meanwhile, infielder Zhu Wei Lin appears to be the logical choice to come up from AAA should Pedroia, age 35, hit the injured list. And I got, of course, we said this about Tiger, didn't we? But Dustin may have played his last meaningful game for the Red Sox. He's had issues with the knee since 2017, missed all but three games during last season, and made his uh, debut this year in the team's home opener last week. But he's just two for 20 so far, starting his first three games at second base and then two games as the designated hitter. So he's a fun player to watch. I hope he gets back. No team in Major League Baseball history has homered in more consecutive home games than the Los Angeles Dodgers now. They only got one against Sonny Gray and the Reds, and it was all they needed. A.J. Pollock hit a three-run home run in the sixth inning as the Dodgers tied the big league record by hitting a homer in their 32nd consecutive home game during a 3-2 win over the Redlegs on Wednesday. Pollock broke open a scoreless game, and he connected off Sonny Gray, who falls to 0-3, providing the Dodgers with all of their runs in their fourth consecutive victory. By the way, Sonny Gray is so overrated. Always has been. L.A. is homered in every regular season game at Dodger Stadium since August 21st of last year, including 13 straight this season. 
While the Dodgers match the mark set by the Rockies over three months of the 99 season, they won't get a chance to break it until April 26th when they return home from their road trip. Meanwhile, Cincinnati manager David Bell ejected in the fifth inning after that game after having words with the, uh, from the dugout with plate umpire Nick Marley. Bell got tossed for the second time already in his first season with the Reds, said he was thrown out telling Marley to pay attention to the game. Well, that's what umpires love to hear. And uh, according to Bell, quote, I didn't say one word the entire game about the strike zone. Some of our hitters were upset about a couple of calls. It was never over the line or anything, but the umpire continued to look into our dugout, which I understand why he was doing that because guys were yelling. I was just saying, I will take care of this. Pay attention to the game, end quote. I don't know why he got thrown out for that. The Reds, by the way, went three for 29. Uh, during the series, uh, their league team batting average, I'm um, not the series, for the game, their team batting average is a major's worst 200. And according to Bell, we believe in our offense and we have confidence it's going to happen very soon. That's right. He has nothing but confidence and very little of that. Well, before we get to baseball history, I'm going to take a drink here. What's it today? A fall staff. Let's do that. Falstaff, I believe, was the first beer I ever tasted. My grandfather in Little Rock, Arkansas, back in the 60s, gave me a taste of his beer, much to the chagrin of my mother, who to her dying day said it never happened, but I know it did because I can still taste the bitter taste of the Falstaff beer. Or was it a Schlitz? The cans kind of looked familiar back then, kind of looked the same. Anyway, uh, rough beer for men. And that's what men drank back in the 60s. Today in baseball history, April 18th, On this day in 1923, in front of over 72,000 fans, Yankee Stadium opens with Babe Ruth hitting the park's first home run, a two-run homer off Red Sox hurler Howard Emke, which helps beat Boston 4-1. The new ballpark is the first to feature three decks. Yankee Stadium in 1923, it cost $2.5 million. That was a lot of scratch back then. On this day in 1929, the Yankees will become the second team to wear numbers on their unis when rain postpones their opening day game, giving the Indians the distinction of being the first to don the digits. New York's members are assigned based on the order of the lineup. Thus, Earl Combs was number one, Mark Koenig number two, Babe Ruth number three, Lou Gehrig number four, Bob Musil number five, Tony Lazeri number six, Leo Durocher number seven, Johnny Grabowski number eight, and Benny Bengoff number nine. Bill Dickey, the catcher, was number 10. Numbers 8 through 10 are all catchers. On this day, oh, your rides here. On this day in 1929-2, in his first at-bat since his marriage yesterday, Babe Ruth hit that home run. As the Bambino rounded second base, he tipped his hat to his new bride, Claire Hodgson. What a romantic. On this day in 1939, the five-year ban on broadcasting games played by the New York Major League teams ends when Red Barber, hired away from the Reds by Larry McPhail, calls Brooklyn's 7-3 loss to the Giants at Ebbets Field. In 1934, the two NL teams and the Yankees agreed not to air their games on the radio, fearing the exposure would reduce the number of fans attending the games. How about that? That was the way they looked upon media and mass media back then. They looked upon them with fear and suspicion. 
kind of like we do now. On this day in 1942, due to the fear of a Japanese attack, General L. DeWitt, commanding officer of the 4th Army Command, asked the Pacific Coast League teams to limit attendance at night games to no higher than the average number of fans from the previous year, approximately 3,000 fans for most clubs. Later in the season, all evening contests scheduled for the ballparks within 15 miles of the Pacific Ocean will be entirely prohibited making San Diego the only club not having to shuffle their starting times. On this day in 1946, at Roosevelt Stadium, in a game against the Jersey Giants, Montreal Royals on-deck batter George Shuba congratulated Jackie Robinson with a handshake after his teammate hits his first pro home run. The gesture will become known as a handshake for the century because it will be the first time that a white player publicly acknowledges the accomplishment of a black teammate. I wonder if David Price has heard about that. On this day in 1947, Dodger President Branch Rickey names team scout Burt Schotten to replace Leo DeRocher, who was suspended 10 days ago by Commissioner Happy Chandler for acts unbecoming to a major league manager. I think it involved gambling. Brooklyn's new 62-year-old skipper reluctantly takes over the team two games into the season, will manage the club for one year in his street clothes, in his street clothes, along with wearing the team's hat and jacket. On this day, 1950, Sam Jethro, former Cleveland Buckeyes star of the Negro American League, becomes the first black player for the Braves, the Braves of Boston. The 33-year-old highly touted prospect, he was 33 when he got there, will lead the majors with 35 stolen bases and will be named the National League's Rookie of the Year. On this day, also in 1950, the Phillies played their first game with their name officially changed back from the Blue Jays. Did you know that, Phillies fans? You were once known as the Blue Jays. And they routed the Dodgers at Scheib Park 9-1. to The team wears red pinstripe uniforms designed by manager Eddie Sawyer that are reminiscent of the club's look in the early 1900s. The Philadelphia Blue Jays. Maybe, no. On this day in 1952, on opening day in Brooklyn, Willie Mays is knocked unconscious when he smashes into the Ebbets-filled wall after chasing pinch hitter Bob Morgan's seventh inning two-out bases-loaded line drive into the gap in left field. All three Dodgers base runners cross the plate but do not score when the motionless giant center fielder comes to his feet and jogs into the dugout, apparently unhurt, having held onto the ball after making a fantastic catch for the third out to end the inning. The Say Hey Kid. I'm going to have another, another drink now. And a cough. I have a cough button here, but I just don't want to use it yet. Can you imagine? He knocked unconscious. He would have been taken out on the stretcher these days. But back then, in 1952, just jumps up and keeps playing. On this day in 1956, Ed Rommel becomes the first Major League umpire to wear glasses during a game when he mans third base during the Yankees' 9-5 win over Washington at Griffith Stadium. You know, for the Senators being such a bad team, they sure had a lot of this days in baseball history. The bespectacled arbitrator, known as the father of the modern knuckleballer, or knuckleball, played 13 seasons with Philadelphia, compiling an impressive 171 wins, 119 losses with the A's from 1920 to 1932, and then he became an umpire afterwards. That wasn't that unusual back then. Can you imagine it happening now? That after a player retires, like Chipper Jones becomes an umpire? That would be great. Uh, By the way, this whole thing with Rommel caused George C. Scott to cry out, You magnificent bastard! I read your book! 
On this day in 1958, at the L.A. Coliseum, in front of a National League record crowd of 78,000-plus people, the Dodgers played their first game in the City of Angels. Carl Erskine gets the win, besting Al Worthington and the Giants 6-5. to On this day in 1959, Branch Rickey, former general manager of the Cardinals, Dodgers, and Pirates, is appointed the president of the Continental League. The Continental Starring Christopher Walken. The third potential major league never materializes, but helps to accelerate the expansion of the existing leagues, including Mets fans putting a National League team back in New York to fill the void of the Giants and Dodgers going west, young man. On this day in 1960, an ambulance showed up for Ted Williams. No, it's just... (laughs) Let's wave at the ambulance as it goes by. Or is it a fire truck this time? No, it's the Popo. I better hurry up and get this done because they'll be knocking on the door soon. On this day in 1960, Ted Williams became the first major leaguer to homer in four different decades when he blasted a pitch from the Senators again. Right-hander Camilio Pasquale, 500 feet over the center field wall for the only run, and the Red Sox's 10-1 opening day loss at Griffith Stadium. In 1939, the then 20-year-old kid hit the first of his 521 career-round trippers, a first-inning two-run shot off Philadelphia's Bud Thomas of the A's, Bud Thomas, at Fenway Park. You know, with all the signs, you think I live in a hood. And you know what? Maybe I do. On this day in 1964, L.A. Southpaw Sandy Koufax threw the second of his two career immaculate innings. He struck out the side on nine pitches. Although Leo Cardenas, Johnny Edwards, and Jim Maloney all strike out quickly in the top of the third inning, Cincy will score all of the game's runs in the next frame, thanks to a three-run homer hit by Daron Johnson to beat the Dodgers in Chavez Ravine Contest 3-1. to one. I said Deron Johnson. Maybe it was Darren Johnson. I have his baseball card, I should know. On this day in 1966, Dodgers shortstop Maury Will singles to center off future Hall of Famer Robin Roberts, becoming the first batter to hit an artificial turf in a major league game. For that crime, he was arrested by the policeman, who the same cop that just drove by is now driving back the other way with his sirens going. Okay. The Astrodome's new playing surface called Kim Grass. Oh, don't you want to play on something called Kim Grass? That's C H E M, like in chemical. Guess who named it Kim Grass? The Monsanto Company. The season begins with the artificial material only on the infield because the outfield, they couldn't make it quick enough. The outfield was dirt until July. They painted the dirt green. In Houston, in the Astrodome. On this day in 1973, I better hurry up for another siren goes by. In the top of the 11th inning in San Fran's 4-3 victory over Atlanta at Candlestick Park, Dave Rader completes an unusual unassisted double play for the catcher. After catching an attempted sacrifice bunt, which is popped up with Braves runners on first and second, the Giants backstop races to second base and steps on the bag before Sonny Jackson, who had headed toward third on contact, can get back to the base. On this day in 1978, sad news, Lyman Ballstock, a highly sought free agent in the offseason, hit 336 for the Twins the previous year, offers to not accept a salary for April if he doesn't begin producing. He went just 2 for 39, that's 051 batting average, to start the season. The 27 year old outfitter raises his batting average to 296, the highest on the club, before being fatally shot near the end of the season as an unintentional victim while riding as a passenger in a car. 
On this day in 1978, after getting ahead in the count 3-0, Reggie Jackson, knowing he has a green light to hit away, feigns to be upset after getting a bogus take sign from third base coach Dick Hauser. Oriole uh, right-hander Tippy Martinez, deceived by the batter's behavior, grooves a fastball right down the middle of the plate, which the Yankee slugger promptly puts over the fence, giving the Yankees a 4-3 walk-off victory. If he did that today, there'd be a bench-clearing brawl and a dance. On this day in 1981, in International League action at McCoy Stadium, the Paul Tekken Red Sox and Rochester, Rochester Red Wings begin the longest professional game ever played, at 4.07 a.m., the suspended 32-inning contest ends with the score knotted at 2, being completed later in the season with the Red Sox scoring the winning run in the 33rd inning. All they had to do was play one more inning. On this day in 1982, the Braves, led by manager Joe Torre, set a National League record when they win their 11th straight game to start the season, beating Houston at the Astrodome 6-5. The eventual NL West division champs, who will finish the campaign with an 89-73 and record, will extend the mark to 13-0 when they add two more victories against Cincinnati at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. I remember, I think it was the 13th game that Claudel Washington hit a, a line drive out the middle to win that game, and we were all sitting at a bar called the Commodity Exchange. Drunk as Cooter Brown, jumping up and down for joy. That was the first time the Braves had gotten to the playoffs since 1969, remember. It had been a 13-year drought. On this day in 1991, a sellout crowd of 42,000-plus watches the White Sox play their first game at New Comiskey Park. And to commemorate that abomination... They see the home team get crushed by the Tigers, 16 to nothing. Jack McDowell gives up the park's first homer to Cecil Fielder. Uh, They've since uh, redone the park, so it's supposed to be a lot nicer. Poor Chicago. That was done, was it right before Baltimore did their park? And everybody was just oohing and aahing over, you know, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And then poor White Sox. They've always got the short end of the stick, haven't they? On the year 2000 on this date, during the Angels' 16-10 victory over the Blue Jays, a Sky Dome promotion becomes a bit too frank when fans get hit with bits of hot dogs. The wieners fell apart after being shot from the hot dog blaster. Okay, I'm just going to put two to two together here, and if you're going to call something a hot dog blaster, I don't think it's going to stay intact. Undaunted by the fallout, promoters continue to propel the missiles, even though the hot dogs repeatedly splatter the onlookers with animal byproduct. On this day in 2008, Tom Glavin of the Braves is put on the disabled list for the first time in his 22-year career. The 42-year-old, his ailing right hamstring, catches up with him. Mm-mm-mm. On this date, also in 2008, after receiving numerous complaints, the Michael Vick Welcome to the Neighborhood promotion is dropped by the Kansas City T-Bones, or T-Bones, a minor league team in the Independent Northern League. The May 28th event, which was to feature the home team wearing black and white striped jerseys with their opponent in orange jumpsuit-style uniforms and spotlights in the ballpark with escape sirens, you know, kind of like we've been having, uh, were set to mock the former Falcons quarterback who was serving a 23-month sentence in nearby Leavenworth Federal Prison after pleading guilty to federal charges related to dog fighting. Mm-mm. On this day in 2008, Connor Jackson, needing only a double to complete the cycle, hustles instead to get his second triple of the game. I ask you, if you need a double to complete the cycle, don't you stop at second base? The Diamondbacks outfitter's unselfish offensive output helps pace the club to a 9-0 win over the Padres. I think they had the game well in hand at that point. I'm staying at second. 
On this day in 2008, the Dodgers announced Joe Bimel has been selected by you, the fans, in an online poll during spring training as the player whose likeness will now be used in an August 12th bobblehead promotion. The 30-year-old Southpaw reliever, considered a long shot for the honor, gets the nod due to a strong internet campaign orchestrated by his mom and dad, Ron and Marge. Aww. And on this date, finally in 2012, beginning with the second pitch of the fifth inning through the seventh pitch of the eighth frame, Bartolo Colon throws 38 consecutive strikes en route to picking up the victory in the A's 6-0 win over the Halos. The Oakland starter faces 11 straight batters who never see a pitch that is called a ball in the contest held in Anaheim. Well, that's it for another edition of Holy Crap in Sports and This Day in Baseball History. I'm Pete Davis. You can always reach me, uh, let's see, on Twitter. Follow me at Pete Davis One. That's the number one. Or you can email me at Pete Davis One at yahoo.com. Looking forward to hearing from you folks in Australia, down under. And tell me why you eat, what's that thing they eat? Instead of peanut butter, it's not Nutella. I forget what they call it. It'll come to me after I hang up. It's made out of squeezed uh, koala juice, I think. Anyway, uh, Colin, correct me on what, that. I'm sure you will. And uh, you can always still follow us Monday through Friday on Talk 106.7 FM from 3 to 6 in the afternoon, Eastern United States time. The Kimmer Show. Uh, that's from 3 to 6. I'm a smartass on that show. Also, I do sports somewhere between 5.15 p.m. and 5.25 p.m. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And while we're still on the air, join us. They sold the station out from under us. And uh, once again, I appreciate uh, following me on Patreon, by the way. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you like the show and want to see it continue, well, by golly, help us out a little bit. Anyway. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for putting up with all the sirens. I'm going to go out there and see the chalk outlines on the sidewalk in just a minute. And hopefully it's those little kids that stood outside uh, the window screaming bloody murder during yesterday's show. Everybody have a lovely evening and uh, see you either tomorrow or the next day. Why not? Let's do another one tomorrow. Drink up, Shriners. Oh, look, another siren. Siren.